Hello and welcome to this episode of Doing Good Through Food where we catering and hospitality can be a force for good in the world and for the people working in it. I'm your host Alex Coffin and today I'm sitting down with Simon Boyle. Simon is an award-winning chef and social entrepreneur. He began as an apprentice chef at the Académie Culinaire de France and during his career he worked on five-star cruise ships, cooked for Saudi princes, won a Michelin star as part of the Tutin Glen team and worked at prestigious, prestigious restaurants including Mossimans among others. Um, his success as a chef was recognised in 2013 when he was awarded the Craft Guild of Chefs Award. Um, his life took a turn when in 2004 he decided to volunteer in Sri Lanka in the aftermath of the tsunami. He returned to the UK with a mission to continue helping others and over the next six years he worked tirelessly to create Beyond Food, a charity that aims to use food as a catalyst to give vulnerable people a chance to move away from homelessness and into stable employment. In 2010 he spearheaded a social enterprise and with partners he located the charity and the employment schemes in a restaurant. That restaurant, The Brigade, opened its doors in 2011 and since then has inspired countless people many of whom were sleeping rough when they joined the programme to a life beyond homelessness. His entire ethos is built on bringing people together around food, so we are delighted he agreed to appear on the show. Simon, welcome to Doing Good Through Food. Hi Alex, how are you? Very well, thank you. Very well. Excited to sit down and, and talk to you about about uh, how you came to be where you are. Um, before we get into all of that, I thought I'd I thought I'd ask you. I saw that you ran the Paris Marathon, I think, in 2015. And London were, Marathon. Actually. Was it? Was yeah, it? Okay. Paris. I saw you were training for the Paris Marathon. I was training. Well, maybe you could talk. And also tweeting support for people running the Wolf Run. Just, yeah. just gone mm. raising funds for you. How does that fit with everything else that you do? Um, I mean, when you're running an organisation like this, you would, you would hope that, you know, everything you do is profitable and sustainable and and you never have to fundraise but actually you know we essentially employ quite a few people more than you would normally do in a business like brigade yeah. um, and therefore you know sometimes you need to you need to go and fundraise but also raise awareness of what you're trying to achieve and things um, so a lot of the, the, the wolf runs and things like that are yeah. done because because we're raising money we specifically do that in partnership with hospitality associations so yeah. that one was specifically the HBAA which is a hotel and bookers kind of association right. who embrace what we're about as a hospitality organization and doing good mm -hmm. and um, want to you know want to kind of want to add some value to it and raise money and, and awareness for us um, the marathon was more because I had lost my wife to cancer and um, it was more of a it start, I started running and get a bit fitter and try and get my head in a, sure. in a better place um, so it's it's kind of like an interesting addition to it. I'm not naturally fit as you can see and <laughs> trying to be as a chef but you know it's like so when you're around food so it's, it's fun it's fun and um, I'd stopped running for ages and I've just started running again so I just ran down from from uh, the bridge and I'm I'm doing my first marathon in London mm. in April so yes, I need to get training as well that's yeah. uh, it's i mean it is an amazing achievement i have to say and it's one that i probably will do again last year but i i didn't get in so i'll try again this year and we'll and you know if you want to try and raise a core if you want to try to raise money and you've got something really in mind that mm -hmm. you're running for it really helps because it is a, it's a big achievement to do did uh, i suppose just 
while we're on it because it's personal to me as well did it did running for a purpose how was that with the training got me through it did it got me through it <laughs> Uh, yeah, you know, but I mean, focusing on what we do here um, every day in, when you when you come to work, we're working with people, very vulnerable people that are trying to yeah. move their lives forward. And like anything, you've got that purpose so close to you and you can touch it and feel it. That's why I love what we do because you can walk in here as a customer or as a beneficiary or a member of this team and, and it's, it's in front of you every day. Yeah, um, you always know why you're going to get out of bed or... Get yeah. out and go train. Or, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. Right. There's a lot of causes out there that you don't touch and can't see, so too Absolutely. far away. So, so that's why people like this one. Well, I will. Uh, yeah, hopefully that will get me through training as well. I'm sure it will. I suppose the first thing that I wanted to to kind of talk about, I, I just mentioned it in the introduction, was Sri Lanka being quite a being the turning point. You know, in this this outlook I think you know on what you wanted to do with with catering from what I I think that's the case um but sort of as somebody you know with a catering background and the audience being caterers and catering industry really um I'm really interested how you how you sort of got how you engineered it to go to Sri Lanka in the first place so you were working I think for Unilever yeah I was a culinary ambassador for Unilever yes um, and I was working directly with the board um, of the Unilever UK business, trying to get them to understand um, their kind of purpose in life and mm -hmm. how they affect people's lives. Um, and I, uh, my, if you like, my salary was paid for by the, de the by the development team, the right. R and D team. So my day job was really about you know getting development briefs. Mm -hmm. sort of creating new dishes creating new products for them yeah. um, but my heart really was about trying to understand where Unilever fitted into society and how it affected so so many people across oh, the world it's such a huge organisation yeah and, and out of a bit of frustration uh, at that point when the tsunami happened I had travelled around the world on my jobs um, as, you, as you mentioned and um, when I was watching the news on the day of, of Boxing Day I was watching everything was happening and you could I could just see all the places I'd visited I could almost see the people I'd met and I just felt um, at the time that I was working for this massive FMCG company mm. um, who I was trying to do my bit to try and evolve and yeah. um, in my own way um, and then on the other hand I had I just had a, um, a little boy, a little baby who was three months old and I was thinking about how amazing life was and how lucky I am yeah. and I just felt like I needed to do something and I, you know like everybody was shocked about the whole thing but when you kind of think about the people you've met along your, your own personal kind of journey in life yeah. you're thinking God, they're in there there's, they're affected lots of the ships chandlers when I worked on ships were based around those ports and of those course, areas yeah. um, you know chefs along the way that I knew had been in and around areas particularly Sri Lanka and so I just felt that I'd do something so I spent um, a day, I suppose, trying to find if there was some kind of organisation that would let me mm. jump on board of some way. Yeah. And I was looking at people like, um, you know, UNICEF and people like that. Mm -hmm. At the same time, I had gone back to my uh, the chairman of Unilever UK at the time, who I knew quite well, and I said, "Look, you know, I want to go and do something." And he said, "Well, you know, see what you want to do, kind of thing." Mm -hmm. So I was just trying to. Um, it was a crazy twenty-four hours trying to think of what I could so that, do. That was all in twenty-four hours. Yeah, yeah. The chairman. I knew I wanted to do something. <coughs> I just didn't know what it was. 
So was it, was it, obviously that was the trigger, but was it an idea that was kind of brewing? You wanted to do something. I knew I wanted to do something and I wasn't, I'm, you know, I'm not a wealthy person or anything. So it wasn't about just chucking a lot of money. And yeah. <clears throat> so it, it was about using my skills as a chef mm -hmm. really. So um, when I got turned, I got turned down by all the major organisations because they already have these set programmes of voluntary volunteers and training and structured. Yeah. And I'm the kind of person that, you know, um, doesn't really want to say take no for an answer. So I mm. thought, well, I just got by plane ticket. So that's what I did. <clears throat> um, cut a long story short, Ian Lever totally supported me doing it. I went out for quite, quite a few weeks. Mm. Um, I took uh, a load of Unilever products with me and, you know, in massive suitcases, not yeah. knowing what I was going to do with them. Mm. <clears throat> I was in the airport, met people that were in a similar boat. And we decided to um, hire a van and we took the van and, and we met a photographer from the Metro and he had just come back from Gaul or just near Gaul right. where a train, it's a bit further south, but a train, a train had derailed in a village called Peralier mm. and two and a half thousand people had died on the train. They'd gone on the train actually to get out, to get out oh of the situation gosh. and the dip in the land behind the train meant it got hit by the wave and then it right. returned and hit the wave again and um, people had retreated into the basis forest behind this village very poor village mm. and um, to cut a long story short the Italian government army and UNICEF and a couple of other aid agencies had been there buried the dead in dunes on the beach and then had given people first aid and then had to move on because there was other yeah. people and places to go to um, we are we turned up probably three days later right. four days later and everybody that had had first aid now needed first aid again um, more people had died um, people had started to come out of the forest not knowing what to do and um, like I said it was quite a poor area so it was, it was chaos Absolutely. Um, so what we did is um, just behind in front of the train rather on the main Gaul road there was a school and um, all the government buildings, schools the, the villages buildings like temples and stuff they all held up because they've been built nice. properly okay. <laughs> bizarrely all the houses and where people live haven't been built properly so they're all gone Nice. Um, and what we did is we created, a, we made a hospital out of the school. We we literally didn't have anything, mm -hmm. so we had money on our own bank accounts, which we used um, to buy a few bits and bobs. And then we started to stop lorries and vans and people, tourists or whatever, all then on the main goal road. And we got them to give us money and things, bandages, medicines, anything they could possibly give us. Mm -hmm. And slowly but surely, we built a hospital. Um, over That's about amazing. a three week period and um, and you know try to do our bit really did, did you um, was it sort of all about the obviously the first focus was aid and treating people first aid and but did the food kind of come into it were you able to bring your yeah the food weirdly my, yeah weirdly my food came into it because I cooked for the volunteers I didn't cook for right. The people that needed help. Mm. There was kind of, they were doing that themselves, okay. and um, I did think I was going to do that, but yeah. you know, it, it was crazy notions of me coming out of the UK and trying to cook for a lot of people in Sri Lanka. They were never going to eat my <laughs> food. I but so, I did but start. To, I was cooking for the for basically the we started to attract uh, nurses and doctors. We were right. um, volunteers that were moving stuff and trying to find dead people and trying to help. 
the people that were trapped or didn't have anywhere to go. Um, and so this, it snowballed. It was an amazing experience. It was, yeah. I, I could only liken it to the scenes out of Vietnam War films. You know, we were living in kind of quite horrible little circumstances and mm. rooms with lots of insects, lots of, um, had been filled with water at some point. Mm. It, it wasn't very pleasant. None of us were felt very clean. Um, and so I started to cook and, and that was, that was, you know, I'd say half of my contribution was cooking one meal a day mm. for about 40, 50 people. And keeping uh, the operation yeah. going. And bizarrely, the one, <laughs> the one ingredient that I took with me, which um, I used every single day, was gnaw stock cubes, which were, <laughs> which were part of Unilever. And okay. um, I just, I don't know why I took it, I just thought, you know, if you're gonna cook, need anything, stock's always good. Yeah. And so I took a caseload and um, we made risottos and pastas and stuff like that. But giving, getting people a warm meal at the end of the day after, you know, really not very nice circumstances, um, really helped. Yeah. I started to then think, the power of food. I mean, I always knew the power of food. Yeah. I un understood um, how you. Uh, my mantra has always been about bringing people together over food and through food. Mm. So it just became really bloody obvious to me, to be honest. I guess when everything else is stripped away, it's, and that was just there. Yeah, yeah. And then I, I on the way back, and, and it, I know it's a bit cliche, but I literally was on the aeroplane going, Christ, well life can't go back to the way it was you need, something needs to change my values yeah. had changed my sense of belief my sense of loss had changed everything had changed so I, I went back starting to sort of struggle to kind of go right where do, where does all this going to fit in really mm. um, and um, Unilever was fantastic it really helped me understand it gave me the space and the time to go and work it all out and um, what did that would that look like? Did they give you time off to go and work it out, or was it sort of go and try some things? Well, the first thing they did company? is they evolved my role because actually, okay. prior to going, I was a bit frustrated because I was wanting to make more of this kind of soapbox they'd given me, mm. and um, I was in really in the wrong department really for that. So mm. I, the first thing they did is they moved me into marketing. Um, so I was directly working with the people that were because Unilever ultimately is a marketing business. Yeah. And, and I was talking to people that were, their jobs were to create ideas as opposed to follow briefs and develop ideas. Yeah. Um, and so I started to talk to the right people about what I believed in in food and the purpose mm. and my belief that Unilever's responsibility to give people good food at the time they were going through a time of trying to get people not to scratch cook and, to, and bringing all their briefs were coming out of convenience ideas. Right. And so you know, we did some great work, you know, salt, we reduced salt on all products across the world, globally, right. 50 by 50%. Really? Um, we were, at the time they had um, pot noodle products and we were trying to evolve them so they were yeah. much better for young people. And, you know, we did some really good work actually. And um, and that all came, a lot of that came from, from like-minded people like me, mm -hmm. uh, putting their values first. And I, and I don't know I would have, if I would have done that so much if I hadn't been to Sri Lanka, but life became very urgent. And, mm. um, so, but the, yes, they gave me, uh, you know, that change of role. They then gave me some time. So I started to, I went down to three days a week. It gave me two days right. a week to really think about what I wanted to do. I started to work across, I started to go to visit charities. I visited social entrepreneurs. I really exposed myself to all sorts of things and I started to realise, you know, my cause and my cause mm. that developed was homelessness. 
um, and, the, and the lack of understanding why people become homeless is one thing, but why they stay homeless, that was what interests me. Right. Um, so there's lots and lots of reasons why people become homeless, but the reason why they stay homeless is because there wasn't many projects or organisations out there that truly understood how to transit this people's situations, how to move someone from being very vulnerable on their own, no money, no food, very little self-confidence and, and um, co um, self-esteem and how to move them into some form of transition to get, kind of get them to realise that life was worth living. Um, and so I've spent this now, I don't know, whatever, 13 years mm. working that out and that's what we do now. Yeah, it's, it's an amazing, an amazing thing that you do. Um, one of the, one of the things that you, I think probably quite soon after that, quite soon after you sort of started to get this idea, uh, you appeared on Dragon's Den, mm. um, with with an idea that I think was forming, that you were, you know, mm. with this, this purpose that was becoming clear and 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 a direction, but. It seems like it was quite a quite a pivotal thing again, you know, quite mm -hmm. a sort of um, important thing in the development of the split between the charity and the operations of mm -hmm. defining those more clearly. I was just wondering what the experience was like and what you what you really took from that. Um, it was horrendous. <laughs> <laughs> I never really wanted to go on. So, so how come it? Happened? I'd been doing a favour for my brother, yeah. um, and I was appearing or helping him with his own business by he was at an exhibition and he was trying to make his stand look feel a bit different and, right. and I volunteered you know I'd cook on the stand in okay. a completely different field yeah but it would be you know people walk past get some food engage and talk to him so mm. it was a pure favor yeah. but I took my team with me and so we were doing this and we were there for a few days helping him out and um, as with all these sort of things you get bored on these kind of exhibitions and I, we'd noticed the team the, the Dragon's Den team were there and they were going right. around with a handy camera asking people to pitch mm. I thought it was all a bit of a joke really but my team were going oh you should pitch your idea you should pitch mm. your idea I kept saying no 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 and by the end of the second day I was so bored that I thought well I might as well just go and do it fine <laughs> fine I'll do it <laughs> yeah. so yeah. Ian said right I'm looking for £250,000 I'm prepared to give 25% of my business away mm. um, I want to employ homeless people in my, in my catering business I want to expand it blah blah Mm. And um, and just did it, and then they thought nothing more of it. And then I got approached by the BBC, and they said, "Look, you know, we really liked you. Would you like to come and pitch more formally?" Okay. Um, and then you have a series of visits to the BBC Centre in Shepherd's Bush, and what I thought was, um, you know, you'd go in, do a piece to camera, and yeah, yeah. I mean, how long does it last? Kind of 10, yeah. 10 15 minutes. And but actually, no. it was a massive process of due diligence I think it right. was because we had that charitable nature but they seemed very supportive and, and so I went through months of really? kept keeping going there and ignoring the business a little bit yeah. um, in the process but I was kind of um, you know uh, very well supported by the researchers mm -hmm. and then one day they just said right you know we're filming over the next three weeks we can't promise anything but we'd like you to come down so I went down and, um, and pitched and as you all know, um, didn't get any money, mm. but I got a lot of love for what I did. And, and just it was just that the Dragon's Den is not there for social purpose, it's there to 
so make commercial. Them money yes. commercial yeah. and they all they all loved it they all loved me and they loved I took a homeless guy on with me and um, they loved everything but they were all agreed that out of the den they would give money but inside the den they couldn't so they didn't want right. to open the floodgates I guess okay. this is 2008 so the, mm. you know this was way before social enterprise really was yeah. the way it is seen yeah. now um, anyway I got did get help from all of them um, not financially but I got I've got a lot of help so Duncan Valentine helped me um, realise that I needed to split the business into two and form a charity right. because you know in those days business just didn't understand the difference between charity and business you know the, the social enterprise yeah. world so yeah. um, so uh, Deborah Meaden gave me a lot of really good contacts but we also made a TV show together um, you know so it was you know it was a really good experience but um, it was a turning point but at the time when I walked out of there with no money I thought it was the end but actually that I walked over London Bridge into the old restaurant and mm. as I walked in there I was like god I've spent three months there trying to do that and I didn't get it mm. and my phone rang it was Deborah Meaden <coughs> offering me to to make this show and so we did really? this little show together and I thought oh maybe it'll be okay um, but it did sh it did shake things. I did get investment from somebody who was watching, and they helped me get into the brigade and what we're now doing. So if I hadn't have done it, it wouldn't have worked. Also, we formed a very unique partnership. I did with PwC um, later yeah. on, mm. and it was because of Dragon's Den that that happened. So I can't, okay. you know, you can't, you can never go well. It was if I hadn't have done that, that wouldn't have happened. But mm. I, you know. I assume that it might not have made the, or it might not have made the same contacts if I hadn't done it. Yeah, I, th I think you could. I mean, it, it seems that way. So looking from the outside, that it, it, something changed there, definitely. Yeah. But, um, but I think I was brave to do it because yeah. it was it was a you know it was torturous. Um, yeah. To put yourself in front of five people and a camera, and knowing that you know. I think it five or six million people watch that. Yeah. So if I'd screwed it up, it would have been the end. And they're there to. to Pick you up on yeah, it. It's a, it's a TV that's show, pressure, an entertainment yeah, format. That's, yeah. And all these people are going in there, bearing all their, their hopes and dreams, the hard work mm. can be can be put down in a, in a minute. Yeah. Um, the other thing I was really lucky is that the BBC seemed to embrace us, so they um, used my whole pitch as their advertisement over the two weeks prior to the show. Wow. Um, and you know, we got so much exposure; it was ridiculous. Yeah, um, and so even though we didn't get the money, actually in hindsight it was way better. You couldn't have bought that exposure. That's, yeah, yeah, that's right. yeah. So would you, um, maybe not on TV, but would you recommend somebody with a, with an idea, you know, sort of social or, or otherwise, maybe just somebody with an idea in catering that you know could be listening? Would you, looking back, going through a process like that, sort of putting, putting your ideas to that kind of scrutiny? Do you think it's would you just recommend it necessarily or well you know I, in those days I used to think that I didn't have to write business plans and my mm. ideas were concrete and yeah but you know I've since realized that you know you have to work hard on a business plan you've got to think it through fully mm -hmm. and if the time and the place arrives where you can pitch mm. there is no better way to sell a business than to stand up and go well this is it and having the business idea is going to spell it out but you do need the business case behind it yeah and that's why so many people go wrong in dragon's den they don't have a business case they've got an and idea and they've got an idea yeah and it seems to be that the that the bbc 
bring two types of people into that show. Mm. People like myself, they've got a fully formed idea, lots of due diligence and really make make it, you know, a proper thing. Um, despite, you know, I didn't get the money. Mm. And then they also bring people that have got an idea and nothing else. Yeah. And I, they can't have gone through the same process because when the dragons challenge them, they know they don't know anything. They don't about. know the numbers. They don't know. don't know anything. Yeah. So and I and I feel I didn't know my number. I mean, I knew my numbers, but I didn't have a strong enough business case to show mm. them. But like I say, they you know it wasn't my mine wasn't led for profit. It was led for social impact, and that wasn't what they wanted at the time. But since then, I've now learned. You know, I did business plans for brigade, and I'm, you know, I've always got ideas that I'm working on and. Mm and spend an enormous amount of time on business planning now mm. because I think that you've got to think things through fully and that process really makes sure you ask all the tough questions and you've done your research and if there's things that you just don't know it comes up really um, but ultimately standing in front of people you know um, I don't like loans and things like that so mm. standing up and, and showing people the potential investors or influencers or whatever that yeah you know, I'm, I seem to be quite, quite right at that. That's a, uh, yeah. No, I, I, it just, I would, I would imagine it would be very intimidating to to go through that sort of process and probably make standing in front of an investor off camera seem like a piece of cake. You kind of. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think people buy off people, so. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, it is the Dragon's Den is is no, it's so iconic. Mm. <laughs> It, you know that's the bit that scares you you don't think that there are only five people you know and they're either going to say yes or no yeah and if you're if you're ridiculous then of course they'll they'll sweep you under the carpet mm. completely but really it's just five people but I was helped with my pitch in some way because um, it's all shot on one in one take okay um, it's never shot it's never cut right it kind of then and then they edit it obviously afterwards but um, bizarrely I was I was you know, my heart was in my mouth as I was doing it, and I did my first piece, and then somebody's phone went off, and it was Peter Jones's, <laughs> and they had to stop the camera, which they don't normally do. Yeah, but it completely relaxed me. Did it? And okay. when we started again, we went into questions and answers, and I, 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 I just could c- compose myself. It's hilarious. And then the other thing is, I, I took a homeless guy with me, or a previous, a former homeless person who had actually killed his brother. And um, that situation, as I was describing it and unpacking my business yeah. idea, it just floored them. It absolutely floored them. They didn't, nice. you know, it's like, so here you are, a chef with a social purpose. And then they got, then um, the guys we've took some, told his story. I told why I was trying to help him. And it was very impactful. So when you are going to present to people, you've, you can't just present a, an idea just without any enthusiasm and, and but that putting over that sense of um hope and change that I was trying that I was doing, it was pretty pretty compelling. Yeah, well, mm. absolutely. I mean that's sort of if anybody can you know, if somebody in that situation can have hope and turn their life around and do you know, that's I mean that's an incredible yeah incredibly powerful thing for yeah. them. I mean that must have just fraud them like yeah, you're saying yeah no absolutely and now what we've done at Brigade it was what I pitched I mean pretty much it was the business I was, was trying to achieve well it does I mean looking back through the you know the things that you said back then and sort of what you say now and what you do it's mm. it's all coherent really it's yeah. all yeah. yeah 
I, I wish I could sit there and go now and say that was what it was all about. That's it's, it's exactly what I. Um, <laughs> but a lot's happened since. A lot has happened since, and, and we've been shaping and evolving and polishing what we do all the time. We're always looking at it, going, "Is this right?" Mm. You know, and and some people we try and help, we can't. It's really hard and it's tough. But we're very structured now. We we know what we're there to do, and um, we um, you know we have our ways of doing it and people need to fit into that because we know it kind of works now and we know it doesn't and when you're dealing with people's lives you can't just um, you can't just take them down a road that you want them to go down it's it needs to be together so we've developed mm. some really great programs and on the flip side you know we've got a business now that's produces some good food mm. serves people well and all of those profits are reinvested so, so it's doing what you what you hope so yes that's yeah. you must be really very proud of it. Yeah. So, um, I was going to ask about the. Um, I think about how you sort of you kind of touched on PwC and and sort of getting it set up, and it seems like there's been quite a lot of partnership mm. to get it to where it is. I, I was going to, I think, ask you sort of how you found them, but you you sort of again you sort you sort of touched on it that that mm. came through the connections through Dragon's Den. I mean, did it all stem from there? Did you have to approach some of them? Yeah, old? Um, it wasn't really connections. It was more the the idea of talking to business people that, that way. And then yeah. I, when I left after the Dragon's Den, I then applied for something called Spark Challenge, which was a government yes. initiative. It was a bit like Dragon's Den, but for social entrepreneurs. Run by, there's a, a, a program called Places for change in the government. It's not, doesn't exist anymore. Right. And it was the DCLG Department of um, communities and local government and homelessness fell on their doorstep it was their responsibility still is and um, they had run out of ideas of how to change homelessness I mean they'd been giving dishing out money I mean a lot mm. of money to organizations providing blankets and soup basically and that is not the answer so they started to think about how to move this on mm. and then I um, was aware of um, of, of the Spark Challenge and so I submitted a, an application and, and I went through a pretty similar process yeah. but this time I kind of knew my onions a bit better and knew exactly what I was trying to achieve and could prove to them that I'd worked with some beneficiaries by this point and, yeah. and PwC were on the panel right. they had also been customers of mine so okay. I, I was um, it was interesting um, you also work with a corporate part of your winnings if you like for for if you if you were successful, that you won consultancy. Right. I actually worked with BT, not with PwC. There were two corporates involved. Yeah. But there was something about PwC I was really interested in. Um, their yeah. accountants, their their set of auditors, are probably I think their first or second largest in the world. Yeah. And I was just really interested why people like that were on these kind of initiatives. Very different to Dragons, you know, yeah. out there just for money, and I'm sure PwC is on as, as everyone else makes a lot of money, oh. as we know. Yeah. But there was there was something about them, and um, the guy that I specifically I met, I kind of wanted to meet afterwards, and mm. and challenged him really to kind of continue helping me, mm. and he introduced me to the building. Right. And the building was derelict at the time. PwC was building its head office in more London, yeah. near London Bridge Station. And I just fell in love with it. It was pure and simple. I, I looked at the building and was like, that's where we're meant to be. Yeah. Um, and so I made myself, um, uh, en enabled myself to get into the right conversations. 
about that building and what they should do with it because they didn't know at the time. The half the board were wanting to do something social, and the other half were thought this should be some kind of training thing. What they all collectively agreed is it shouldn't be McDonald's or a bookshop or whatever. It should be something else. And so, and they they came to you with that mindset. So you, they came to me saying we'd like to do something. Yeah, and they didn't know what. Um, and then I went to the government and said, here's an opportunity. And I went and got the money from the government and then went back to PwC. Um, and then together we built the business plan. So it, it, was, it is unique. And you talked about the word partnerships. One thing I came out of then feeling was very lonely in business. Yeah. And, and so um, the biggest thing I learned out of being Dragon's Den was I don't want to work on my own. I can't do it, I'm a chef. Yeah. I'm a decent cook. Um, I've got really good ideas, but I'm not really, really experienced in business. So come out of there and it's like, well, go and find people you want to work with yeah. and do it together. And I still believe that that is, you know, being fundamental to, to what we do here. PwC would never have opened a restaurant trying to help homeless people. The government never would have given money to corporate to just go and try and solve a homelessness issue yeah. in the same way as they wouldn't have just given it to a chef who mm. you know works with a few homeless people but we formed a, a partnership and together we could do it and we did and I have to say one of our objectives was to for others to kind of look in and look in what we've done together as a partnership and then go away and do their own thing and that's yeah. not happened that much I mean they, we, people come in all the time and view what we do and we talk about it and they go away inspired, but not many people have gone, right, well, let's go and do go a and project. Do you know? and do, you, do you think that's about the partnership, about maybe they kind of come with one of those skills and not the others? I think it's about people. I think, yeah. Yeah, I think in each organisation we had somebody that was prepared to stick their head on the block and go for it and work together, and um, that that's quite unique, you know. Um, and, you know, when push comes to the shove, it's hard, business is hard, so... You know, one thing being running a successful business is another one where you, you know, you're helping people and that costs money and yeah, you know, yeah. It's a, that's a challenging thing. So um, there are some good projects out there, and when you look at them, they've got very strong people behind them mm -hmm. that really drive it home. It, for PwC to sign off on starting a restaurant, I mean, it's not a hospitality business. No, hugely complex and um, quite a brave decision, I think. Well, hopefully it will kind of yeah maybe this will sort of reach somebody who, who could do something yeah similar I mean there's, I'm surprised yeah. you say that there's not been well I mean there are projects I'm not yeah. saying there was not no, but um, you know we, we decided to open a, a very nice restaurant with cookery school and rooms mm. and so on in the heart of London yeah um, to make that big difference now we've now worked with 1,200 homeless people we've trained and supported them and we've employed uh, directly ourselves 110, soon to be 120. Mm. Um, we've kept it small, we haven't replicated, we haven't scaled it up, we just believed in making it as good as it could be, and, and maybe in the future we might, but um, it's, you know, that it's had an effect, it's had a positive effect. Um, Absolutely. But it's hard work, it costs money, yeah. and there's a reputational risk, more so for PwC than anyone else, because they're the corporate, they're the mm. ones that you know. If, it, if if something terrible happened, it would probably be them that would suffer. But you know, six years on, here we are. Nothing terrible has happened. 
we've helped an awful lot of people and it's been good. And is it is it still a partnership? Are they still involved yeah, yeah, in absolutely. a in a kind of in the same way? Yeah, yeah, totally. I mean, we have it's changed a bit. We actually we, we stopped being a charity last nice. year. We became a community S- interest company. Yes, yeah. And that was because, um, well, long story really, but we'd always been about social business and we just felt a charitable status um, quite often put tension. We were basically running two organisations, the business, the operation and, and the charity. And we just felt mm-hmm. it should be one organisation. And when we really looked at it, we didn't think the charitable status really added anything. Um, we'd go it along and, and be a community interest company. And mm-hmm. it has affected our funding a little bit. So there's some work that we do that we, we can't get funded for. Right. When I say funding, I mean paid for the services that we provide. I see. Um, but on the main, in the main, most people completely embrace our work for what it is and and, and want to eat in here and mm-hmm. pay the money and knowing that there's some social value to it. Absolutely. I, I, um, you just said you, you know, you've, you've had 1,200 odd people come through. Um, and directly employed, say, a hundred of them. So there, there is a obviously there's a, a sort of gap there. The, the other, the other people, I guess, it's you know, the purpose of of the organisation is about stable employment and sort of that as a route out of homelessness. Mm-hmm. Um, so you need partners, I guess, to to help drive that. Do you? How does that work? Do you sort of? Uh, have ambassadors or something to that are people that go out to restaurants to caterers to sort of help people find work do you support them no. in their applications yeah so basically so what we've done is we've developed a series of programs that understand how to move people out of their situation yeah we run them and we've had all sorts of partnerships um, we have tended to kind of keep going it alone because we just feel that our ideas and methods work and mm. when we've tried to create partnerships they quite often haven't worked um, we um, we do have um, we work with Baxter Story um, yeah. and WSH restaurants as they're now a third partner in the organization right. um, so they're responsible for running the business we have a, a, um, a team the support and progression team and mm-hmm. it's their job to go out and find the placements, find right. the people, the referrals. So they work with the DWP, the job centres, and homeless organisations. Mm-hmm. Um, it's quite a small team, but they're doing an amazing piece of um, amazing work. Um, and it's their job to go and find the referrals and bring them in. There is a gap between who we train and who we employ, yeah. um, and that is because we are at the top end of the market. I mean, we are sure. at working with people that are very um, vulnerable, very very vulnerable. And to think that, well, we, we only employ 90. Our main purpose isn't to employ. Our main purpose is to train and inspire. And, and many of those need further support. Some of them need help with their learning difficulties. Some of them with their mental health. Some of them where they're, with their addictions. Um, mm. Some of them are just coming out of institutions such as prison, uh, the army, marriage, mm. where they've lost the support and they need to understand how they fit back into society. Mm. So we never say goodbye to anyone, but someone might not be ready. And so our, our methods of putting them through our programs show us who's ready, who's not, who's committed, who's not. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I wouldn't say anybody, you know, 
fails in any way, shape, no. or form. But they're just they're either ready or not. And we've we've just become very good at knowing who's who who we can move forward. In the old days, we used to have a lot more people go through, but we had a lot more people drop out. Mm. And it and it's a big place, you know. To, it's a high place to fall. If you if you're putting people and you put them through a program, and then you suddenly go right, we're going to employ you, and then mm. something happens or they can't quite do it in months down the line it's really it's a really high place to fall down so there must now, be guilt and quite a lot of difficult things for yeah them. I mean, well we well so now we're very structured about it yeah. so as an example if someone just can't come on time you, you can make all the excuses down the line uh, down the, in the world but ultimately when you give them a job they're also going to be late and they will lose it so yeah. now one of the things is if you're late and you haven't communicated with us and you'll be you know, might be given a couple of chances, but if not, we'll ask you to leave and then come back when you can commit to it. And many people do, and it's the one thing that they need. You know, a bit mm. of tough love. Um, it must be a hard, you know, hard thing hard. for somebody to who is you know motivated to do to help to to do. do you know, yeah. if that's how the help you need to get. Yeah, but we're so structured about it, and we're yeah. so clear, and we've got amazing documentation and booklets and training aids and you know all of the workshops are designed to inspire people into mm. it so you know as they go along the process the the commitment grows you know and so as they're developing the commitment's developing mm. and and it, it works out it really does it's quite amazing and, and I, I guess you've got a responsibility to everyone on the course so if somebody's not committed absolutely. and they're left on it then it you could yeah it disrupts everybody everyone, yeah yeah so we've just got really good at being really hard nosed about it, and that you know, and that has come out of many frustrations, yeah. many dis people that have not quite got through, or we've had to, you know, they've been really disruptive, or they've not made it all the way through their placements mm. and whatever. And we've just really learned, um, and keeping it small with the deeply intense people that we've got working here mm. who really get it, um, has we that's why we've survived, we think, um. We also we don't work with specifically young people, which most organisations yeah. do. So we tend to work with older males. So our at the moment our average age is fifty. Really, um, and that you've diff it's a different set of people. You know, young people yeah. that haven't quite understood that what life's all about and the experiences and opportunities given to them. Yeah, and throw it away a lot of the time. Um, whereas the people that we're working with has lost. I've usually lost absolutely everything, and. They grab hold of the opportunity. Many of them tell us it's their last opportunity, and so actually you don't get the disruptive behaviour. Well, you get a whole lot of other stuff, yeah. but 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 it, it's, it seems to be a better. People see the lifeline and yeah, grab yeah, it. and you know we I I love it. I mean, it doesn't mean that we don't have young people, but we're not a sixteen plus kind of organisation. Yeah, some are quite targeted in that yeah. way, aren't they? And um the joy and the thing I'm inspired every day because the things that they've had to go through in life yeah. the challenges and um, is unbelievable I, I mean I have so many stories of things that I just can't believe I'm hearing and um, and they, but they come on our programmes and they turn up at 9 o'clock every single morning fit for work ready to go and what they've been through to get to yeah, that point it's amazing and the majority of people in society probably have a view on homelessness which, which is probably less favourable than whatever and um, they wouldn't have a clue of what these had people have gone through so if you walk into Brigade and you see our beneficiaries working away then just know that they've you know they're amazing people amazing people mm. 
I I would love to sort of keep chatting. I'm very you know, we're we're running out of time. I know you you have to be away. So I um we'll just wrap it up. There's sort of closing questions that I can just ask. Um, and the one I would like to ask you today is thinking about the UK catering and hospitality industry. If I say success, who springs to mind for you? Oh. Um, well, I have to say, um, the company that we're working with, Baxter Story, I've mm. been in and around them since March. Um, they cater many different types of people to many different audiences, mm-hmm. and um, I, I'm really inspired by the business. I think it's quite quite incredible. As a chef, people like Raymond Blanc, you yeah. know, just you, you can't not be inspired by what he's achieved. Michelle Rue Jr. Absolutely, mm-hmm. um, Jamie Oliver. Yeah, I can't. You know, he's done some incredible work standing up for the common man. Yeah. Um, and and make you know kind of really fighting the fight. And I think he's been amazing. Um, yeah, I think, and I, right. I just think you know the opportunity that hospitality gives people is just unprecedented and in all industry. I think it's mm-hmm. you know you can be somebody with no qualifications with very little skill but if you know if you can be pleasant and have a smile on your face and be helpful valuable to a business you can get a job really easily it's a crime that there's so many chefs and waiters that positions that are available at the moment quite a scary prospect particularly thinking about brexit well that that, that would definitely take us uh well over your time to talk about all of that but thank I'll just wrap it up and say I'd really like to thank you for for being a guest on the show and for sharing all of that today Um, the the two aims for this podcast they're sharing stories about doing good through food as widely as possible and showing people working in the industry how the people at the top got to where they are and I think we we covered that really well today Um, so I'm grateful to you for that Um, I'd just like to acknowledge the listeners as well who've given their time to listen to this conversation and say I I hope they found it interesting Um, and hopefully some found it inspirational they do say that success leaves clues there's plenty of them I think in what we've just said for anybody who is thinking along these lines so thank you again and to the listeners thank you and we'll see you next time thanks very much thank you